Last week, you heard part one of my interview with the ever-entertaining Joseph Gashel, harpsichord professor of University of Michigan. This week, we'll hear part two. You're a teacher that goes above and beyond. Well, you remind me of Logan. When you see a student deserve it, you will go out of your way. I was thinking about that today because there's some students here that I already have like gone out of the way for. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, in a certain sense, there's like such the natural instinct. But I was thinking, you know, it sounds so, you know, socialist or I don't know, <laughs> pious. I should really try not to be like only helping the special people. And it's not even so much favor, but you, yeah. you know, you see somebody who f- you feel like has a real gift. Yeah. And you want to help clear the roadblocks for them. You know, like, I, w- I can connect you to meet this person. I yeah. can, like, find this scholarship for you. You know, I can, like, and people did it for me. You yeah. know, so I want to do thing. it. But I think you also have to help the other people. But it's just, like, just because they don't have that knack doesn't mean... Or you don't connect to them or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. How new are you to teaching, though? You've been teaching for a while. I've been a somewhat teacher for a while, but mm-hmm. I've only really been doing the real, you know, full-time teaching just for these three years. Right. I was in D.C. for about 15 years before that, and I was really a freelancer. Right. You know, I had a couple adjunct jobs, you know, that were like maybe a half day a week or something, right. you know. Yeah. And I taught at Oberlin the Basso Continual class for, gosh, maybe eight years now. And I just wonder, does every teacher start off that nobly? but then get kind of exhausted over time. Right, exactly. You can't do that all the time. Right, I know. I mean, how many harpsichord students do you have now? Right, not that many. Um, I think I had, you know, an average of 10 last year. That's more than I thought, Which is actually plenty. Yeah. Well, because you you have to teach them so many different aspects of being a musician as well. Like, it's not just about playing the instrument, right? It's about understanding. For sure, right. And, you know, and most of them are not you know, majors, most of them are pianists or organists. And so they have, you know, they kind of want to do it for a purpose. Right. They want to get better as piano players through the harpsichord, you know. So sometimes we have lessons on the piano instead of on the harpsichord. So it's a little different. And, yeah, I'd love to eventually have more serious harpsichord players. It's just there's not very many of them out there. Especially at Michigan? Right. I haven't really seen that as a flourishing part. Of right. It, it hasn't traditionally been. and I mean, but it, it's not even necessarily about Michigan. I think there's just not a lot of players. And I think also we're kind of at a transition. And I hope, like, I'm part of that. This is interesting. The interest in it is a little bit less historical mm-hmm. or less purely historical and purely about the instruments. But, like, it's just another way of making music. It's yeah. It's not so different, really. That kind of made me think of the fiddling playing. Right. And the fact that a lot of early music people seem to really like new music. Right, exactly. And so that was a curiosity of mine. Right. How is it changing or is it changing and what is the future for early music? Right. What does that mean anymore? Right, I don't know. I think in a certain sense you don't want to become mainstream. Right. But I feel like, you know, some of the, the values that like the early advocates of historical performance really cared about have become kind of mainstream maybe less in america than europe but still to me maybe it's really comes down to caring about context Mm -hmm. like do you have enough energy and desire to do a little work to figure out the context of the music you play like who wrote it 
what kind of instruments, what kind of culture were they in. Yeah. And it, there's no way you can exactly do it that way. That's not the goal. In a certain sense, you're trying to play it the old way, knowing that it's a impossible dream. Right. Right, but that doesn't mean it's not fun to try, right? It's and, very fun and to you, try. Right, and you know yeah. you're going to bring yourself to it and where you are in 2017, but it's still really cool to connect. And I think, yeah. you know, I hear people talk about musical evolution, and that's something that kind of rubs me the wrong way, that things are always getting better. And, you know, when I talk about doing, like, an improv class, people will say, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, an important step in the evolution towards jazz. I don't really disagree, but as long as you're saying, like, evolution means it's getting better yeah, in some aesthetic way. It's just, it's, it's just changing, yeah. and it's just different. To think about those composers as real people. And not lesser versions of today's. Not lesser, oh. and also not greater versions. Right. You know, like Leonardo da Vinci. He yeah. was not from Mars. He's a human being that engaged with things in some amazing way. Bach, the same way. Mm-hmm. He's just a person that put notes together He's in an amazing God. way. And you can learn so much more about his music if you don't believe he was something else. I've heard different things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're willing to just dive in there yeah. and like, why did he choose note B instead of note A? Yeah. He did. I can relate to that as a human being. I can, right. you know, I can... I'm going to be able to relate to him. Okay. Like, one thing that has always kind of bugged me, and like, so I, I don't honestly know who said it or exactly if they did say it, but I'm someone once wrote about the inevitability of notes in Beethoven. Uh-huh. And maybe at the time, I don't know my reaction at the time, but I never forgot it. Right. And it's always bugged me. That uh. there's some kind of, like, tapping straight into like pure musical genius Mm. and if you're like so on that path you know every step you know a certain kind of like if the seed is planted it's inevitable that this tree will grow like if it's inevitable that he's gonna write the fifth symphony he's not a bot like you didn't right you can't predict his choices were made along the way and he could have gone a different way and it still would have been Genius Beethoven. Yeah, that does bother me. It deifies everything. Right. That like, oh, this was how it should be. Like, the way Beethoven released is how it should be. Right. Well, and even like the, the word like to deify something, it's like it's also our concept of like there's some like stable absolute out there rather than there's like some really awesome process that we're a part of. And yeah. And that's more what's need to be a part of. That it's not inevitable and you know, a lot of us would say, like, we can participate in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, that's absolutely true. That um, it's sort of, is it fair to say Christianization of sort of music? And Maybe. I don't, I wouldn't probably say it's, or, you know, Art. traditionalization or. Attributing, it, like, an absolute truth yeah, into it. To a certain kind of way of thinking of religion yeah. or God. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of going to sound weird, but. I went into music because I think it's searching for truth. Yeah. But um, I don't know if there's a great composer that I would view as every note he wrote was perfect. Yeah. But I do think that in this process, I'm getting closer to finding out more about myself that yeah. is true, that is yeah. honest. But it's mm. weird that people think that the time they live in is the best time or right. they have the best knowledge or whatever. Right. Yeah. Do you think that in your field, most people think that? Or don't think that? 
are most people question. who marginalize your field think that? Yeah, I think you know there's there are definitely you know some people that marginalize it. I feel like in some ways I don't really blame them from some objective ways. You know, there's uh-huh. there's lack of like amazing virtuosic skill. The instruments aren't as loud. They have these limitations and. But I feel like it's really short-sighted not to, like, yeah. be able to step past that. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, maybe, like, we wouldn't have made some of these really cool discoveries. You know, it was people who were more curious and a little bit off the beaten track. That it's often those kind of, I don't, I never read the book, but that, like, kind of outlier thing of people yeah. with different perspectives often show the main group something cool that they really need and it's hard to discover it if you're in the middle of the big group and i mean is classical music a big group no and not in a certain way but but when you're a subgroup of that group it becomes the group right right and i feel like these simple things of with harpsichord you can't kind of power through stuff like you can with piano right you can just power through stuff on piano and sell it to the audience because it's strong and good. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. and string players do it too. It's just like core sound on every note. Yeah. And just, it's in a certain way, like the audience never gets a second to like think or doubt. Yeah. Doing the harpsichord when you can't power through it, you have to find something else. Mm-hmm. And like the only thing that's really left is kind of the music. Right. You have to like understand that as much as you possibly can right and you can't rely on those kind of things i mean in the end you learn you do learn of course a different bag of tricks to manipulate people but the fireworks but yeah Yeah. it's you really are forced to like try to think about it more no that makes a lot of sense so i i feel like being forced to do that taught me a lot yeah and the effect that you have on the audience is utterly beautiful at least from it's it's just different right but it's so musical so natural and maybe that's just you as a performer (laughs) i guess there is a lot of integrity to it i guess you're forced to be yeah i don't know i mean i you know you definitely have to make decisions all along the way of like you know am i gonna yeah like for example that books to huda thing there's this Mm -hmm. one ornament that i do Uh and i kind of do it all the time and Uh i kind of feel shitty about it really well, because it always bugs me when I hear people do things the same way too many times. Oh, I mean, I people like okay. tend to have their three or four ornaments that they do all the time. Oh, okay. You know, and this is a, it's a very unusual ornament. It's not any kind of normal thing. Right. But it's something that I love, and I always do it. So it's a gashualism. I guess so. But <laughs> but I know, and it's it's a tiny bit of like of a country ornament. Yeah. And I always, I come to it and I'm like, should I do it or not? And I pretty much always do it. And I know people dig it. But it's also your like little personal stamp. Right, exactly. But I'm just saying there's like choices like this about what's good taste and what's, you know, what, like sometimes you can do something that you know, like you don't believe in, but you know, people will like it. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. You know what I mean? We that all the time. Right. Kind of a mess. Right, I so think. I kind of am, I guess, because I'm always, know. maybe more in practicing, but I'm thinking about, like, you know, what's my range of balancing, you know, what I feel is somewhat, like, Buxtehude's intent, mm-hmm. that's a dangerous thing, but, like, kind of his world, and then, like, my world, and then how will people hear it? I think that's another thing with early music, you yeah. know, the audiences are so different. If I play it here for people that 
some of these people, like, I know hadn't really heard harpsichord, solo harpsichord ever. Yes. So, you know, I have, I don't have to, but I kind of choose to play in a little bit, like, if I was playing this, like, at a historical keyboard convention, I would probably choose slightly different ornaments or different things because I think those people would understand it in a slightly different way. Anyway. No, but I mean, is it such a bad thing either? I don't think it's bad. It's just interesting. I think there's camps of people who deride certain choices. Right. And I don't think you should feel ashamed. I don't think I should feel ashamed for loving performing. But there are certain camps of people who act like that's the yeah. worst thing about being on stage. Like, say, what do you mean? Say that well, in more like, detail. Oh, I hate performing. I hate having people look at me. I'm not somebody who likes to be the center of attention in the spotlight. Wait, and they are performers. Yeah, that's the thing that it's it's more just like I don't want it. It's like anti diva sentiment. Interesting. Are, but it's too obviously disingenuous. <laughs> right. Like, by the way, let me ask you something. Okay. It would be interesting to talk about for this. Like, okay. Just seeing some people perform, and I, I judged a competition at, at Michigan, not, I don't know, a year or something. And, like, I was astounded by the number of people that played their whole round or their whole, you know, 15 or 20 minutes uh-huh. with their eyes closed. What? And especially with the violinists and the cellists. Oh, really? I think the people facing the audience. Huh. They would play the whole thing eyes closed, and I, I, don't, I really was put off by it. Yeah, um, I don't know. No, I mean, how do you feel about that? I don't like mannerisms that are put on. I don't yeah. like anything that's like put on to affect a certain thing. But, but I, like, I don't know that it was a mannerism. To me, it felt like hiding. Oh, like to I see somebody's see. eyes, yeah. to see or to allow somebody to see your eyes, mm-hmm. is to like give them a little insight into like how you're feeling but are we in the position to say anything because we don't face the audience when we play and that's it's true i mean the only time i really realized that this was actually unnerving to some performers was when michelle was talking to me about how she looks at someone in the audience and it totally throws her off her game right yeah yeah so i have no, no idea actually. i know yeah i mean there's plenty of times i play i do play facing the audience oh you do okay never mind and and even if you're sideways you're still not like an organist back to the audience oh, yeah. or like in the loft somewhere right right so i don't know i'm just interested because it's it's something that doesn't feel again like coming from a, a little bit of the my point of view as a historical performer who's mm-hmm. like more of it is like telling a story yeah i guess of course you could have like homer the blind bard reciting his things but yeah. i guess for me the more ideal would be like someone delivering a talk and you know making eye contact with the audience and yeah you know at certain moments like lost in thought might close their eyes but, but it just doesn't connecting. pretend to like drift into like ha ha la la land uh-huh, for the whole uh-huh. thing yeah i don't know i mean that's that's kind of um something about performance today that bothers me is this sort of the performer is the worshipped whatever like the one who cannot connect to humans or connect to the audience that's something that I think Garth Newell tries really hard not to do. Right, and does. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, but I don't think I've met another place in which that emphasis wasn't there. Yeah, right. With the emphasis, you haven't been at a place. We say that one more time? Oh, yeah. There's me. There was maybe a double negative. The emphasis <laughs> on the performer connecting to the audience was not there. Okay, at other yeah. places at as other much. At other places. Yeah. I mean, that that is true because I think at the heart of it, the essence of being a musician is just communicating, right? 
So, I don't know, is it? I mean, I don't know. It's confusing, right? Right. Part of it is like you just loving what you're doing, right? It is, but then, yes, I should say part of being a performer is that you want to connect. Right, but then, right, you are doing it in front of, or What's the not point in, of front doing of, it in front right, of people, yeah. Right, I mean, and there is like that thing of, you know, like, what are those Brahms and her Metsy with like the ideal audience of like one or none or things like that, right? I'm rolling know. my eyes. Good. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, this is not a visual medium. <laughs> um, if it's great music and you want to say something, then I think you're you're legit. Like you yeah. make that choice to say yeah. this is what it is about. Yeah. But I mean, you you obviously are surrounded by people who study it in a much more intellectual way. Right. And so, probably these questions would be much more important. Right. Sorry. Do you, getting you getting a lot of messages here. Sorry. Joe Gasho, a popular guy. Yeah, my, Always my, on the phone. My son is sharing a video that he just learned to solve the 5x5 five five Rubik's Cube. So he's, yeah. Oh my god. Proudest geeks ever. Exactly. Right? Okay, so I mean, one of my questions was what is the biggest myth about harpsichordists that you would like to set the record straight on? Because huh. I don't know the culture that well. Right. I only know from what Franny right. tells me. Yeah. We can move on. I don't know. Or maybe you haven't had that angst. I mean, I think that there's just a general feeling, maybe that people feel like they do need to prove themselves extra technically. Oh. I mean, it's. I think it's, you know, these days, more than 20 years ago, I mean, there's young players that are just technically as strong as any pianist. Right. And that wasn't true always. And so I think we definitely get a little grief for that, and we kind of deserve it. But yeah. I don't, you just want to can't do everything, right? And if you want to, if you're really curious about other things, yeah. I think it's it's a trade-off. I don't know. I guess I I don't feel much of a chip on my shoulder anymore. Right. I, you know, I used to. I used to worry about oh, really? it. Like I had to prove myself. But I think it was more about me than about the harpsichord. So what you're saying is people think harpsichordists are less strong technically? Yeah. Okay. And and I would say they're, you know, they're mostly right. I mean, okay. Sorry, the I average level is definitely different. I think, you know, one of the things that I guess I'd want to dispel, like talking to some people after the concert today, and mm-hmm. I know some people really fiercely love the old harpsichords from the beginning of the 20th century, the ones that Landowska played. And oh, okay. Rosalind Turek, you know. Yeah. And... I don't disrespect them at all, but I personally just really don't like the sound of those instruments. Yeah. And I kind of wish they had never been invented. Because it's like trying to be a piano, right? Yeah, and it's just, it's not to me any kind of organic blooming sound. And I wish, I wish when Landowska had gotten into playing that some person had been like, you know, at the playoff shop was like, you know, we could have an iron frame, but what if we just went down the street to the museum yeah. and like saw this old instrument and what if we just made it like that? Yeah. You know? Um, it's too obviously making it the inferior cousin. of Right. Yeah. And I, again, it's that thing to me like of progress of like progress is always good. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that. And I think I was telling somebody that why in a certain sense would we revere somebody like Bach so much? Mm-hmm but assume that the people who made his instruments that he loved were morons, right? It's true, yeah. And on the other hand, you have people who fight any sort of evolution to the piano as it is right now. 
Right, but, that's true. Yeah. Right, because that's it can't last forever. Yeah. It's been like what 130 years now that it hasn't really changed. Like that, yeah. yeah. And um, that's why we have prepared piano, and that's why we have extended techniques because well, and, there's a desire for more sound. Right. Well, and you know, electronic pianos. Yeah. Um, but it's not better. No one's gonna say that the visceral nature of George Crumb's music is better than a great Brahms sonata. Right. It's just we have a craving for a different type of sound. Yeah. And that's fine. And yeah. I think that's sort of a, a thought that we can use for all the different instruments, I guess, off the keyboard. Yeah. Is that it's a different sound, it's a different purpose. Yeah. And it's a different aesthetic. Right. I'm not gonna measure harpsichordist by a pianist aesthetic. Right. That doesn't make sense. Right. At the same time, I wonder if being a pianist that was technically proficient actually makes you a worse harpsichord player. Because you're still trying to play it like a piano. This is yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes I feel that it's it's definitely harder for really strong players sometimes to yeah, adjust. But yeah. on the other hand, like some players that are just amazing uh-huh. pianists, just get the harpsichord like that. Right. So I, it's kind of it seems to me to just be a personal thing. Were you one of those people? Not at all. <laughs> I have no idea what you were like as a pianist. Yeah. No, I was. I. I mean, in some ways, I'm similar to as I'm a harpsichordist. I would say. I feel like performance for me is always still this like flexible trying to figure it out. I really I struggle to ever kind of let the interpretation gel because I'm always hoping for like one more revelation from the music. Yeah, so uh-huh. it's very hard to practice because for me practicing is like trying to figure it out. Right. And it's not like setting. I don't like set the stones in the mortar. It's like, but let's like arrange puzzles. them this way. Let's do this, you know? And that's, again, that flexible thing that it's fun, but it really, it does really have a downside. Yeah. In I terms guess, of, yeah. you know, like I made a recording a couple of years ago of transcriptions that I made. It's a wonderful project, but it's really hard to do that kind of stuff because, again, even in that case, you're changing the notes themselves yeah. in the recording session. It's not just like yeah. your interpretation, but it's like, oh, I could revoice that differently, right? Oh God! That's and at so, some point, no, you gotta just like lock in and be like, "I'm just playing the notes I wrote yesterday, yeah. at least." Oh my <laughs> God! I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, I mean, because it's not easy. It's never easy. Yeah. Because you, but but in that way, that's really admirable that you don't default to my point of view, and this is how it's gonna be. You're always searching for, I guess, the right so, or something that is true. Yeah. I don't know if it, I would say that. I would just honestly say like sounds better. Yeah, okay. It makes more sense. That's something I find myself saying to myself. Like, something makes sense to me. I take pleasure when it makes sense. Yeah. I don't know exactly what that means, Is but it I like it. Yeah, something makes sense or it just sounds really good. Those are probably the two things I like the most. Okay. Like, sometimes, you know, you just sit there and you're like, wow, that sounds great, you know? What percentage of time would you say you have that? More and more. More and more. And what I find for me is, like, I just have to wait for the instrument to do its thing. Ah. Like, so often I feel like it just, I was thinking about it, I walked up the mountain today. Like, a lot of players, they don't, they play like they're lawnmowers, you know? And, like, the grass doesn't have a chance to, like, bloom, and they've already cut it. Oh. You know? It's like, so, especially in slow pieces, but... You know, it just often just takes an extra little time to, like, just see what the instrument has to say. You're Like, you're not in it alone up there, right? 
It's you and the piano. It's you and the harpsichord. You have to, like, be patient. I think that's probably my biggest weakness is patience. But it sounds like you have that in stage. Well, I don't, but I've realized that it's rewarding. Right. And that I do have more time than I think. And just giving the instrument that extra little time to bloom often is so rewarding. Right. You know, and and for me along those lines, like, a big revelation has been like, I really like to imagine the sound up. As a keyboard player, yeah. we do everything is physically down. So it's really important for me to imagine the keys as like these, what do you call this, like seesaws. Ah. And I just imagine like little birds or balloons like floating up. Because like to me, it's so much nicer to imagine that sound coming out of the instrument rather than like being down. So it seems natural to think that because you're literally coming out of the instrument like exactly. you're not going down right the people are out here yeah but also like physically that makes sense to think yeah. that way i think like, from the ground up kaplinsky talked about that yeah i had a lesson with her one time really? and yeah she's taught me yeah and what is harmonious blacksmith what is that so that was a group that i had for a while we okay. still kind of exist but um, he petered out a little well you know how it kind of goes it was it was a recorder player justin godoy awesome guy yeah great person and and player and we just kind of hit, you know how like there's people just hit it off with it was kind of like that for us like we would go do yeah. master classes and like the people would get pissed at us for like playing together oh okay and so they you... would like you know force us to like try to like throw each other off oh i see you know okay and he was the kind of guy like at one master class he played a really hard piece and the teacher was uh marianne Farbrugen. Uh, fantastic yeah. virtuoso from Holland. She's like, you know, I never liked this piece in C. It's much better in D. Can you play it? You know, and this is in front of like oh 50 God. people. And he's like, okay. So, we, you know, we did it. That's cool. <laughs> um, so, so we had this group that was kind of dedicated to this like f- funky middle ground of, is it improv? Is it oh. composition? Is it arrangement? So we did, we just, all our pieces, almost all our pieces were kind of somewhere in there. Mm, okay. And we would have, you know, just straight up totally improv piece with no structure. Yeah. Or we'd ornament things really interestingly. Or some, I mean, I would say what we felt was at the edge. Like we yeah. wouldn't, we were pretty committed to never like practicing our stuff. Like never, or never, betrayal. or never trying to like, again, codify yeah. the stuff so that we'd, we were rather crash and burn. Then, like, play the exact ornaments that we rehearsed. But you did practice the skills. We practiced the process. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And that's that's something that I really admire out of people in your field is that, that sort of you are so flexible. Like, you right. are so able to do many different things at the job of that. Yeah. Like, that's something that has always been my embarrassment as a pianist, mm-hmm. that I can't do that. No. And I, I would love to, like... In a way, I think that's how I want to play. Yeah. And, yeah, I just, I just never did it. Never went to that class. If there was I have one. a great idea for you. What? So this is something that I, I want to do sometime, and I just haven't done it yet with anybody. Yeah. So maybe you could be the guinea pig. But okay. There has to be, I mean, you could do anything you want. But let's say, for me, like, let's say there has to be some work of Bach you don't know. So what, <clears> if, <throat> what if you don't do it yourself, but get somebody you trust, with some skills to like take the score and like only include like every fourth measure. 
And you have to write the other three measures that connect them. Yeah, I don't trust my composition but, skills. But just do it. You know what I mean? Or you make it easier. Just leave out every other bar. That can't be that hard. So just force yourself to write something. Cause, okay. Because in, in a certain sense, like composing, it's not totally different than improvising, right? Yeah. It's like you still have to improvise the ideas and then you just decide which ones you're going to keep or you get to edit them instead of like one shot and that's it. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of, you know, there's more pressure with composition because you expect it to be amazing or it has to be edited and refined, right? Yeah. It's not like stream of consciousness. But, like, I think that would start to, like, open the gates a little bit to that of just, like, you don't yeah. have to do it on the spot. But you're just, like, again, not treating those notes as, like, something inevitably perfect. I mean... I think that's why I love new music is because sometimes I have to do that. Right. I have no training in that. So I'm going to have to. Have you ever to... tried to rewrite a recipe? Nope. <laughs> I think the last thing I tried to do that was even close was this little couple that I'm teaching. They asked me uh-huh. to do a transcription for them. Oh, nice. For an orchestra score. Okay. That took so long yeah. because I got really into it, actually. Right. Ex- cool. It was embarrassing. Yeah. And yeah. But so cool, right? In the end, like, you have I, to choose this like note yeah. or that note yeah. or no note. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's kind of awesome. But I get overwhelmed. I think you don't get as overwhelmed as... I don't, I, I don't think you get overwhelmed. I feel that I do, but maybe I don't. Have you ever been paralyzed? I'd say I'm constantly in paraly- oh, paralysis. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just when you have, like, enough things going on, like, I can't be paralyzed in everything at once. Right. But, you know, like, something's locked up because I'm, like, haven't figured it out or I'm, like, yeah. worried about it. But something else, like, has to be done. So I can, like, kind of procrastinate on that and, like, be happy in something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. My weakness is doing too much. Like, I just, I don't know when is enough and what is sane and when is a good amount to actually let things be good. Yeah. And I think that's more and more the case now with us is that there's so much need to succeed and win and achieve right. yeah. that you can easily lose any appreciation or love for music because you're constantly just trying to like do the right. next thing. Yeah. So you start to suck. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> I, I forgot how to practice. I forgot how to sound good. I just have yeah. ass. Yeah. And it's, it's really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I wish, you know, thinking about Garth Newell, there was, you know, a few people I wanted to, I didn't have a chance to talk to, but thinking like, you know, when we do lessons and coachings and stuff, yeah. like so much more of it needs to be about that kind of stuff. Not sure about the piece, but it's like if you spent like four hours like with some kind of unconnected approach to music when you worked yeah. on this, it's all in vain, right? I mean, yeah. why don't we, we need to really spend time with them on like what they're doing, you know, outside of it. Yeah. And I think that you know, you can, you can find kind of your way of doing it. And if it's incomplete, you can spend like so many hours practicing the wrong way mm-hmm. or not yeah. practicing what you need to practice. Yes, completely. You know, and like collaborative practice is different than solo practice. Like, are you, I was just thinking like there's some, you know, the chamber music thing. Like so many people are told never to listen to recordings or play with them. I got to say, I think it's yeah, I was a told that, super actually. valuable thing. Well, I'll say this. Um, I was always appalled by my first rehearsal with people about how bad I was. 
And then I started playing with recording, and I was like, I can get my first rehearsal embarrassment right. out Why of the way. Not? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it right. was helpful. And sure, maybe play with a couple of different recordings. Yeah. That way, the rests aren't so scary when, like, string players, they have, like, eight bars. Or, you know what I mean? You just get this feeling, and it's not like, I mean, how pathetic are we? We're going to really steal every idea. Are we not going to have any creativity? Yeah, I think you have to be really confident and self-actualized. Like, you have to know that you will not play that way. But You're I even feel like, it. would it be bad to play that way? Or try it out? Why mean? not? I mean, sometimes I used to do that. I would, like, turn off the harp. That's one nice thing you do on the harpsichord. You can oh. turn it off, right? Okay. Turn it off. Then put on Leonhardt. Mm-hmm. Can I play like Leonhardt? Then put on Richard Egar. Can I mm-hmm. play like Richard Egar? You know, like, yeah. what kind of cool timing things did they do? Right. What was their tempo? You know, of course, there's it's a million things that are lacking, but there's also a million things that are there yeah. to listen to, you know? So, I don't know. I feel like, and all the old advice, like, listen to good people. Like, if you want to get good, there's only so much you can do by yourself. Huh. Listen to good people. That's what they always say. Well, so why not? It's that, like, idea with the conducting that we talked about. I mean, do you, yeah. you really want to, like, only play at the limit of, like, yourself? Right. Why not play at the limit of yourself and, like, a bunch of other cool musicians? Well, this is making me rethink. Because I used to think, when I listened to recordings, I just didn't like things. I didn't like certain things. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I knew I was going to play differently right. and I used to think that was a good thing, Right. but in a way, maybe that's just showing that I'm narrow minded, you know, like that. I am so used to thinking one way and right. I should be just like embracing another way. Right. Yeah. Huh. And why not? Right. Yeah. yeah why yeah. not be able to play like a, somebody else's idea? Well, that's true. I mean, how often it is like, you know, you see this in a situation, right? Like you ask somebody to play it some way and either they can't do it. So they play it bad or they don't want to do it. So they play it bad. So they're like, okay, never mind. You know, in master classes all the time. It's like, it's just a simple thing. Like play this without pedal. Yeah. It's just like, oh. Right. Oh my god! Like or the opposite, right? Or like you yeah. tell the something and then like, oh, see, it's so much better. Right? That's like yeah. the teacher's curse or the teacher's lie. Yeah, yeah. I told you this thing. Obviously, it's better now. That's that is true of why I like chamber music and what I learned from it is embracing somebody else's idea because I'm yeah. not gonna ever be that person because I hate that. Right. You're like, no, I don't like that. I'm not gonna well, try it. What Who was it that? like in the Schubert today? Because there's so many like cool back and forths. Oh, it was Between great. you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, were there unexpected things? Um, yeah, a few. Like, yeah. I said, took more time in his solo. And, uh-huh. like, I definitely didn't do what I had done before. Uh-huh. And Aislinn didn't either. Right. And that was great. But, yeah. I mean, it helped that we didn't rehearse a lot. Right. And probably, maybe that showed as well. But whatever. Like, but, yeah, but you didn't need to. I lucked out. We've all had the experience of playing with really annoying people. Really... <laughs> sensitive people who take things really personally right but if any of these four people were like that i would need it like that's that's the basis of it and i think it also goes for who we ask here right because they're all really cool even though they're like super famous they're just really cool yeah like they have like integrity right i I feel like it's getting late so we should probably wrap up (laughs) probably is (laughs) even so okay so let's just end with with two stupid questions okay who, in your opinion, is the most underappreciated composer, and who is the most overrated one? That's interesting. Is it? See, I told you I wasn't going to ask anything 
not G-rated. <laughs> so. <laughs> Underrated composers. It's interesting because, like, maybe like from yeah, I was gonna say like yeah. pretty much all my people are <laughs> underappreciated probably. Um, Bucks to be there definitely. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that he's more like unknown than underappreciated though. You know I've what heard I mean? Of him. Right, but like, but you don't have a negative opinion of him, probably, right? I have no opinion. Right, see, so it's it's more like unknown. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't have much of an answer to that. That's okay. How about I, overappreciated? Um. Um. How about this? Here we go. Which composer would you like to have a nice sit-down dinner and chat with? What composer would you like to have a weekend away with? And then. <laughs> What composer would you, if you saw him in the street, would just pass by? Interesting. Okay. Okay. So the one I'd totally pass by would be Lili. Really? The opera composer. Okay. Because he just seemed like such a jerk. It's a silly name, too. I don't know, but he was great, but he really bugs me. He me the wrong way. Like Wagner? Everyone answers Wagner for... Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe Lili's the Wagner of my world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um... Let's see. Have a nice lunch with. Gosh. I think officially I said dinner. Dinner. Sorry. A nice dinner. <laughs> I'm making it more informal already. A nice <laughs> Cutting down with... the hours. You really don't right. like people, do you? Right. The, I mean, the weekend, of, like, for all of us, like, I think it, like, has to be Bach. I don't know, but, like... That wouldn't be my answer. It wouldn't be. But you're not a harpsichord player. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. All of us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All of us harpsichord players sorry. would probably say Bach. I don't know. Maybe some people wouldn't. But, yeah. No, I think it would have. It has to be that. Okay. I mean, even if it would really suck, you know. <laughs> I don't know. You can't pass up that opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I mean... Why are you having trouble with dinner? Shouldn't dinner be the second one that you answer? Right. I don't know. Huh. It's just dinner. Right. Oh, and then the addition to that, because I know you're a foodie. Right. What is what have. you serve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. How about dinner party? We could do a dinner party. Dinner party with a couple, yeah. Oh, it's so tough. Is it? Yeah. You've never dreamed of having a little dinner party? I've never like, thought about this. No. You didn't think like, oh, this guy would have really liked this guy. Or they would have such an interesting argument right now. Or this would be so entertaining to watch. No? Never even remotely thought about it. Oh, my God. That's funny. <laughs> oh, Should I just goodness. toss out a name? Sure. No, because I don't know any of Right, you don't know the right, exactly. Yeah. Fine, if you had uh, Bucks to over for dinner, okay. what would you serve him? And who would you have as his companion? Let's say this. Okay. You know who somebody I'd really like to meet dinner, have dinner with? Okay. Ligeti. Yes! Yeah. He wrote some cool harpsichord pieces. Yes! He seems like a crazy awesome guy. I want a program. Hungarian rock or something. Yeah, Continuum yeah. and Hungarian rock. And then there's a Pascalium Garesi. You know, I, I do really like Chrome a lot. Is, he's somebody I would like to meet. I think. Yeah, I've heard he's amazingly talented, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love his music. Yeah. Just, yeah. I think, to quote Logan Skelton, he's the greatest of my composer. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's so much intention with the effects he uses. Yeah. But, um, 
Okay, so you would have a dinner Another party. one, you know, I, I know everybody says he's a jerk, but I really, really like music of Steve Reich. Is he a jerk? That's what I hear. Oh. Maybe not to people, but like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's way too harsh, right? But like, he's like very driven and focused, I guess, and that's not fine. necessarily taking it the best experience to the waiters and servers. Oh, I see. Oh. <laughs> no, that, that is kind of a deal breaker if somebody feeds to an Yeah. But, yeah, I really like the ideas, yeah, he had and his yeah. early stuff. I think it's yeah, incredible. But, yeah, would I really want... You know, honestly, no. I think I'd love to get to know him. Like, the his, the opera he did with his wife, the yeah. cave, the kind of, like, huh. video opera. Yeah. Oh, you're into that, aren't you? Yeah. Like the tech, tech stuff totally. Yeah, what was that yeah. vibe? Ah, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Searching the bio. A strong proponent of technology in That's the true. arts. That's true. That's true. He has used computer assisting techniques in opera productions. Anyways, so um, good talk. That was great. Yeah, thanks so for fun. doing this. That we probably went much longer than you expected. Yeah, but it was. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. What are you talking about? Well. I mean, it's like we're saying, you, you learn the most when you have to, like, verbalize it, right? That's true. Well, that just about does it for today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thank you for tuning in and choosing our podcast to listen to. It really means a lot to us. And I hope you continue and tune in next week for another interesting interview. And check us out on iTunes and leave us a review if you want to. We always appreciate any feedback. And check us out on the various social media outlets we have. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. So many wrong notes. We also have our cool new website, so many wrong notes.com. So I hope you enjoy and take care. Bye.